Hey family, thank you for tuning in to Our Roots Podcast with Joseph Babaifa. We're only the strongest roots see the light brought to you by Boldanica Candles and more. And if you haven't had the opportunity, like this video, share it, and be sure to subscribe and let somebody know about our membership program, right? Today's episode is Orishas and Nature. And what we're going to be talking about today is the different, at least the, the most popular Odishas, and the spaces of nature that they frequent, right? So we're probably going to go over about seven of them, you know, at least to begin with. I'm sure there'll be a part two to this episode as well. You should test me and see see if I know. Phil, you're a wild guy. I, you might get all of them right. You think you. so? Yeah, I, 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 we've been we've been hypothesizing that you're about allowed on the low. <laughs> okay. Just haven't told us yet, you know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, man, so the Odishas, just to get into a little background, they are nothing more than wavelengths, right? When we talk about the concept of irumole, we're talking about energies that um, that basically are, are wavelengths of light, you know, and they emanate from our supreme being or deity, which is Olorum or Olodumare, which is literally the sun, right? So when we look at the spectrum of light and the way it comes out, depending on the wavelength and the characteristics of it is the Orisha that it's associated with, right? So why does Shango, um, is he usually characterized as a, a, a viral masculine man, um, corpulent man, you know, the color red and all these things, because he's actually associated with infrared uh, light, you know? Um, so it's very intense, it's very hot, you know, and, and that's how it would physically manifest, at least to the Yoruba people all those years ago, or when he was actually born. Then you, you get into, you know, energies like Oshun, you know, the color yellow and, and that wavelength, you know, it's a little more feminine, more nurturing, um, much more sensual. And, and this is how each of them kind of got their characteristics, but they're nothing more than wavelengths of light and energy expressed through nature and, and a prism, right? So to begin, you know, the first Odisha that we usually always begin with is going to be Eshu or Elegua. And what happened with Elegua was that he was actually associated with a couple different places in nature, right? Um, ultimately, Eshu's positions are, I won't say somewhat man-made, um, but they, they definitely have a lot to do with society ultimately, you know, because when we think of Eshu, we think about the garbage, um, we think about the crossroads or the four corners. And we also think about uh, the jungle or the forest, right? Wait, Joe, when you say garbage, though, that that's not like a negative connotation there? No, and, and it's really ironic, man, because um, Eshu is the wealthiest Orisha, and the first place he ever lived was actually in the garbage. And the reason being was because he said, I need to go to a place where I will never be hungry. And needless to say, he isn't because there's nothing that's always as full as the garbage. You know, he probably went to one in New York, <laughs> you know, but um, in the Odu Babaya Jobe was actually where Eshu installed himself as the king of the garbage. Right. Where uh, there's various um, pieces of information where we actually feed Eshu animals while in the garbage or sitting in the garbage. Um, the, the word garbage within Lukumi um, is usually known as agogoro. Um, I've heard the word ikung as well. And what happened was, is in the Odu of Eyobe, things weren't going well for people. And um, they were trying to find a solution. They visited the Bawalao. And Orumila identified the Odu of Eyobe where Ifa said that they needed to perform sacrifice to the lord of the garbage. 
Now, mind you, no one likes to go to the garbage. You know, it's it's not a desirable place, desirable place or a dump, uh, being a dump. But when they arrived, Eshu was waiting for them, and they uh, he said, you know, where's my rooster? And they said, well, Ifa told us to bring you one. So he he ate the rooster in the garbage, you know, in the dump. And he started sending prosperity to people because there was a huge famine going on. And being that there was a famine, they had no food to create garbage out of. You know, usually the, the people that are, you know, I guess the most affluent have the most garbage or the best garbage. Um, so that's actually one of the initial positions that uh, that Eshu is present in. And that's in the Yodua Babayobe, where till this day we still have a piece of work that we do where we feed the garbage in the Odobe Obe. I've, I've actually done it many times, and it's been very fruitful. Um, but that, that's one of the places, because Eshu never wanted to be without food, because he's a glutton, right? Um, also in the Odobe Obe, it identifies why Eshu is in the uh, is in the, uh, the the crossroads, or the four corners. And um, I'm, I'm sure I've said this story before, but I'll reiterate it now for our first-time viewers. Um, in heaven, all of the Orishas were identified to perform a bowl through the Odu of Eyobe when they arrived on earth to provide the first person they saw with a rooster. Um, none of them did this. And because of that, all of them transitioned and ended up going back to heaven. Um, and they really didn't have an explanation why. But one thing that was in common was that they were pursuing money over spirituality. And they actually consumed the rooster themselves. Um, or whichever bird they came down with, but it's identified as a rooster. So Rumila, when he when it was his turn turn to actually go down, he performed divination, and the Oduveyobe was revealed again, where he was given the same recommendation. So when he arrived on Earth, um, you know, as he came down, he started walking. He actually arrived at a, uh, a crossroads, right, and he noticed the individual standing right in the middle, um, half red, half black. He thought it was peculiar. And when he actually got closer to the gentleman, he didn't even say hello. He just fed him the rooster immediately because he was trying to avoid an untimely fate like his siblings, right? Mm. And after the guy basically was force-fed the rooster, which he consumed, uh, he looked at Orula and said, who are you? Orula introduced himself and explained why he did what he did. And Eshu said, I know exactly who you are and why you're here because I'm the guy that killed all of your siblings because none of them fed me. My name is Eshu. Right. And what I did was, is I provided the temptation to them to pursue money, which is nothing more than a worldly commodity over spirituality, which they would have been able to get both if they just would have attended to me. So my friends are those who feed me. My enemies are those who make me starve. So me and you will be friends forever. And it's because of this story why the Babalawos are the ones who confection Eshu and are the only priests that should be providing Eshu. Because anything that has to be filled up or with a head concept, like a cement head or anything that takes a filling, is Bawalawo territory based on this story. And from that day forward, all the other Orishas and their descendants came down and they had to visit Orumila to be able to make a pact with Eshu, which is ultimately the hand of Ifa ceremony. So that's how Eshu actually became associated with the crossroads. So... I don't know if Bone Thugs and Harmony was uh, <laughs> if they had an offering to Eshu beforehand, but um, you never know. Um, and, and there's one other position for Eshu that that's very key and important is um, when Eshu lived in the uh, in the jungle or in the forest. You know, now mind you, Eshu has been characterized as a hunter as well, a warrior deity. You know, grouped in with Ogun and Ochosi, who we'll get into in a moment. But um, when we talk about the jungle, you know, he was there very prevalently amongst many signs. Um, but one of them is actually my own sign. 
in the Odu of Irete Sukkah was where um, the person wanted to be able to alleviate their destiny and progress and prosper and whatnot. And divination was performed through their own Odu, where Ifa said that they needed to perform sacrifice um, to their Eshu icon, right? Which they did, but they had to do it with the rooster hanging upside down. And the reason being is because the blessing was suspended in heaven, and via allowing Eshu to try to get every drop of the rooster, Eshu actually pulled it down for them. Now, mind you, to fulfill the ceremony, they had to take the rooster to the jungle um, and offer it to Eshu um, to fulfill the pact, which they did, but Eshu implored them to also offer him a cigar. Maybe that's why I like cigars so much. Yep. Um, and, you know, Irete Sukkah would spend all day in the jungle smoking cigars with Eshu. So um, I, I tell you, I've lived that quite a bit. I've done that at Bo, and it's, uh, it's really provided me quite a lot, but... That's one of the numerous signs and stories that speaks of why Eshu is in the jungle. You could reference Baba Ogunameji, um, you know, when him, Ogun and Ochosi would hang out in the jungle. Um, you know, there's various, various signs. I mean, there's a path of Eshu that's pretty frequently in the jungle known as Eshu B. So um, you're going to see those three positions being very, very prevalent with Eshu. But the thing about Eshu is, Eshu is everywhere because every Orisha has an Eshu. And Eshu, via his um, his omnipresence and that characteristic that was gifted by him um, or to him by Olodumare, um, he's everywhere, ultimately. But these are the three most prevalent. And Eshu is Elagua, right? Same guy. Same guy, different name, different manifestation. I actually got a, a question like that on the channel recently where there was a, a viewer who said, um, what's the difference between Eshu Alaguana and Elegua Alaguana? And really, the, the name of the energy that we're interacting with is Eshu. That's why when someone crowns Elegua, which is nothing more than a title that says, he who carries that which has been received, making reference to him actually delivering the offerings from humans to gods in, he on he in heaven, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it's just a nickname or a title. But when you crown Elegua, your name is ultimately Eshu something. Like, for example, my, my son Danny's name is, he's crowned Eleguaba. His name is Eshu Dami or Esusu Dami, which means Eshu has created me. Um, so, you know, it, they're the same guy. It's just a different name and, and manifestation. Eshu's the energy, and Eleguaba is the guy that was actually, you know, born as a human to be able to become Odisha. Interesting. And I think you told me a story before about um, Eleguaba and Shango. I'm sure they they, they interacted build, build quite a bit. a house or something like that? Yeah, when when uh, Shango was uh, tempted by Elegua, and um, you know he ran into this random woman in the jungle. That that video actually got quite a few views. Yeah, I'm like not sure one. why. Maybe it's the visuals. I don't know. <laughs> but, well, you're um, very descriptive. You know what we need to do? We need to find somebody to animate these these uh, patakis for you. We do right, and so I can be the the Morgan Freeman voice of of, <laughs> of Ifa. That's that's what I'll go down as. You know, not a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Eshu and Shango, they, they've interacted quite a bit. And we can delve into Shango now. That's a nice little segue. So um, Shango is, is usually associated with the palm tree, right? Now, the ironic thing about some of these relationships is you'd think, um, you know, if, if someone is associated with said area, it's because they love frequenting that area per se. It, it's not necessarily true. I mean, Eshu... I mean, I, I can't say he necessarily loved being in the garbage for anything other than the resources it would provide. So when we look at Shango and Shango being associated with the royal palm tree, or even in, in certain cases, the tree of Iking, 
um, it, it goes to the Odu Babao Wanimeji. And um, what happened was, is Shango was actually trying to court Oya. And he wanted to gift her a piece of jewelry, which some people say was a ring. Shango was a little nervous, to be frank with you, but he would never admit this. But Oya was a very imposing woman. And um, he was very attracted to her, but he didn't have the nerve to interact with her because he couldn't deal with rejection. So his best friend, Agemo, um, which is a, uh, a species of lizard, there's actually two types, the chameleon, and then there's another one that's more slender. That's the one that's more referred to in a wanimei in this story because the chameleon has a story as well, known as Agangara. And um, he, he asked his friend to be the liaison between him and Oya. And his friend said, yeah, brother, no problem. Even though Rumila had told him not to with the Odu Wanimei, but he didn't want to displease the king. So being that, you know, to be able to walk, he used all four of his limbs. He put the red ruby diamond in his mouth. And he was trying to get to Oya quickly. And unfortunately, he stumbled and swallowed it in a way where he couldn't get it out and he couldn't speak. So rather than going to Shango and, you know, informing him of his failure, which he couldn't stand to do, he went up the palm tree to hide. So Shango was doing his rounds, and he ran into Oya. And he said, oh, you didn't like my, uh, my gift? She said, you've given me nothing. He said, I sent a, a, a ring as a, you know, a courtship and, you know, as a proposal. And she said, you haven't proposed to me, sir. And he said, the lizard never showed up and, and gave you what I, I sent? She's like, please don't waste my time. Shango, mortified, in front of the whole marketplace, actually started scanning and looking for the lizard. And he looked in the one place where they would always congregate, which was the palm tree. And when he looked up, he saw the lizard. And the lizard did what most lizards do now when they court, is it, is, it extended its throat, revealing this red organ, which really was the diamond. And Shango thought the lizard was taunting him, like, yo, I got, you know your diamond and, you know, all these different things, when in reality the lizard was trying to say, I swallowed this, but he couldn't speak it. So Shango, being very frustrated and annoyed, um, threw a lightning bolt at the tree trying to kill the lizard, which he was unsuccessful, but the lizard stayed hiding in the tree. That's why till this day um, the lizard courts via um, its tongue and the extension of its throat and then apart from that, that's why palm trees get struck with lightning more than any other, uh, any other tree. And that's why lizards and reptiles have a preference towards hiding in that tree. It provides the most security somehow. Oh, man, that's, that's deep. I didn't even think about that. A lot of stuff there. Yeah, that's, that's Babawani Meiji. Um, you know, and that's why Shango is in the palm tree. Um, there's other Odus, like the Odu Okanasa speaks of when Shango went in the palm tree and cursed everybody because uh, he was angry. And then there's another one in the, uh, in the Odu of Irete Ansa, or Irete Osa, where he actually had a business cutting palm trees to harvest palm wine. Um, so that's why he's associated very heavily with that, uh, that space in nature. I mean, obviously, Shango is the king. He's associated with the palace. Um, that, that's usually where you're going to find him. You know, the palm tree was kind of his digs. And um, when we look at all of these positions before we get into the next Orisha, um, the, the Odu Babao Yekum Meji speaks of when the different Orishas found their places in nature. Oromila went for divination in heaven, and the Odu Babao Yekum Meji was revealed where Ifa told him while on earth to not run, especially in the rain. 
Well, guess what? When the Orishas came down from heaven, it started raining as a blessing from Olodumare. And all the Orishas started running because they didn't want to get wet or they were ignorant to what rain was at that point. Mm. So Shango went running to the palm tree. Um, Eshu, you know, or Elegua, better said, went running into the woods. Um, all the other Orishas, I don't want to spoil the other ones yet, they went running to their positions. But Orumela walked. And based on him walking, he found a home. And when he... Um, he presented himself at the door. You know, he explained, hey, you know, I'm looking for lodging. I'm a traveler. Um, you know, by chance, is there a bath here? Is there food here? You know, the Yorubas were very hospitable people, you know, before, you know, the treachery of humanity as we've moved forward and the maliciousness of it all. Yep. Because um, you can't just let a random guy, you know, up in your home. But, um, you know, they let him in, and they realized he was a babalawo based on his beads and things like that, so they knew he was moral, of moral character. And um, from that day forward, they, they asked him to stay. And that's why Orumila's position is actually the home. It's the only Orisha that you find at home, per se. Like, as far as energy-wise, where he prefers to be. Um, you know, some people go as far to say, well, he's manifested through the tree of Iking, which is the one that provides us with the sacred seeds of divination, which is legitimate as well. But um, Orumila doesn't like to be fed outside. He likes to be fed under a roof, in a home, um, the Oduo Fumbile speaks of this as well. Idete Fila speaks of this as well. Where Orumila liked to be under the shade. He didn't like to be under the sunlight directly or under the rain, etc. So he stayed in the home. And that's why he doesn't share his throne with anyone else. Where, you know, you'll look at certain Orisha functions and they'll have cloth and a corner decorated for said Orishas where they might put multiple ones there. Orumila doesn't share his throne. Um, you know, you might see an Eshu icon. You might be able to get away with putting Oshun there as well because they were married. But he was married to all of them at some point. So, you know, it's it's better to avoid. But that's what Babao Yekumeji says about at least Orula and ultimately Shango. Mm. Okay, Shango's a personal favorite. Shango's the man. Shango's my guy. That's why I wear the color red as much as I can within context. And, um, you know, he just um, he was a regal guy. But, you know, ironically, people would think, oh, he must have loved the palm tree. Well, some of his worst experiences were there, but he, some of his greatest triumphs were there as well. So that's why he just stuck with it. And it kind of reiterates his character. You know, it's a phallic symbol. Um, it's strong. It's robust. Um, it's You know, I, I tell you, a royal palm tree is a dangerous thing because you hit that thing at over a certain miles per hour. You might as well just be hitting a concrete wall. I'm not sure if mm. you've ever been able to pat one, but the trunk, like the fibers are pure cement, you know? So it's uh, it's very reminiscent of his character, right? So we did Alegua, we did Shango, we've done Orumila. Let's go ahead and delve into Obadala. Um, Obadala is associated with the, uh, with the mountain, right? Why is Obadala associated with the mountain? Because they say that in the Odu of Babaya Jobe, when he came down from heaven, um, apart from the version of the story where he landed and, you know, spread the sand to create land matter, they say that the point where he actually touched down on lifted to be able to kind of coddle him and make his journey down safer, right? Um you know, and, and the reason being, whether it was that or whether he just found a mountain that, you know, resulted from tectonic plate movement, he wanted to be as close to Olodumare as possible. Being that he was the messenger, personal messenger of Olodumare, um, and the intermediary in the first Orisha, he always wanted to be as close to the sun as possible without necessarily being exposed to it, because Obatala is not a fan of sunlight per se. 
Um, they say that due to his character, you know, the white cloth and the characteristic of his implements, he also was partial to like snow or a colder climate, higher elevation is what he was used to based on his celestial travel from heaven to earth, ultimately creating it. He, he liked the, the snow capped mountains and, you know, the mountains and elevation and the, the airiness of it all. But there is another version in my Odio Videte Suga where in my sign was where Obadala progressively became more and more frustrated with humanity. Yep. And, um, you know, he actually was trying to get further and further away from them. And, you know, what he did was, he, he does what most people do in survival mode, is he took higher ground, right? So little by little, he started elevating and going higher and higher and higher to the point where people were like, all right, bro, you don't want to be around us? That's fine. You, you go do your own thing up there. But it got to the point where he actually kept walking and he walked right off into the mount, right off of the mountain and went into orbit. Whoa. So they say that that's one of the Odus why, you know, Batala is associated with the mountain and ultimately like not necessarily just the atmosphere, but the cosmos. I mean, he had to descend through it to be able to arrive on Earth. And then he ultimately went back. Where the Odu Irete Suka says that, you know, we have to understand people have different personalities. We have to interact with them, understand them, and, and understand not everybody is the same. But um, Obadala there, you know, he retreated to the mountain when he felt overstimulated or he felt he needed a break. Or sometimes he would just go right off the mountain into orbit. Wow. Yeah. And if you look at, you know, him representing the color white, you know, most people would look at the sun and, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of white light. I mean, you look at stars, you look at, you know, the absence of light within, you know, all the, the darkness with, within the cosmos, but these little specks of white and whatnot, it really represents Obatala quite a bit, you know. So, speaks of that. Um, we've got through Obatala. Another one that's going to be a huge point of interest is definitely going to be Oshun. So I'm going to take a sip of water. <laughs> All right. Well, while, you, we get while, you, while you do that, I'm going to ask you a question while you take a sip of your water there. Yes, sir. So you know how um, horoscopes, they say, hey, you you know, Pisces and uh, Cancers are good to go together. Is there like that with like Ifa and the Orishas? Like, oh, you're, you're a child of Shango. You should, you know, your partner, you know, if your partner is a child of Oshun, that'll work. Or not work? Do you know, do they have something like that? Well, ironically, I had a random comment that I saw one time on a on one of these um, media mediums uh, outlets that uh, discusses Ifan Orisha, where um, someone actually refuted uh, a statement I made that you know people can have characteristics of their guardian Orisha. Now, mind you, um, you're going to have things in common. I'm not sure what was so far fetched about that, but are you going to be exactly like your Orisha? Absolutely not. You know, because I'm not exactly like my dad. My daughter's not exactly like me. But it's it's going to be far-fetched to say that she's not going to have any of my characteristics. I mean, we're dealing with, you know, generations of DNA, personality, all of these different things. So if we look at that concept and understand that we're not going to be totally like our Orishas or the Orishas, um, there is hope where, you know, maybe the common story of Ogun and Oya getting divorced um, is present, you know, in real life, that doesn't mean a child of Ogun and Oya can't have a very satisfying relationship that, that's going to be successful and loving and long lasting. Um, you know, and I've seen more classical combinations like a, a son of Obatala and a daughter of Yamaya get divorced. And, you know, some people look to them as kind of like the root 
of, you know, the other Odishas. So it can have some influence, but it should never have an influence to the point where it can destroy, mm-hmm. you know, or it can separate somebody. Um, because ultimately we have this thing called free will. We have Odi. Um, we have all these things that we need to incorporate to be able to strive for a fortified relationship with the person we love and choose. So I would say that. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. I always wondered, you know, well, I don't know which one I am, but, you know, you you hear about, oh, they're a child of Shango. So yeah. Shango you, you know that Shango is really the one who's saying, oh, yeah, Shango, it's, it's not going to work. The poor well, because he's, been, he's been with everybody, though. That's why. He's a bad boy. He's a very bad boy. I love him very much. He's a very bad boy. Well, if you look at our situation, I mean, I have crowned Oshun. Um, my wife has crowned Oshun. And, and some people, I mean, they never told us, but, you know, at least when we were together, but maybe before we'd heard conversations or knew the climate out there, like, oh, two Oshuns, you know, it's like two canaries pecking each other's eyes out. I, I assure <laughs> you, it couldn't be farther from the truth. We we maneuver very harmoniously and, um, you know, very, very, very much in love with each other, you know what I'm saying, and care very much about each other. So you can't allow stereotypes to dictate um, your relationship or what it's going to be. You know, we talk about partners. I mean, we're talking about two two animals, two human beings, two creatures coexisting on a daily basis. You know, we just have to learn how to, you know, be in frequency and maneuver and, and dance without stepping on each other's toes too much, you know. But there's, it shouldn't have a defining factor by any means. It's a conversation piece at best if it stays positive. Okay. All right. Who we got next? Oshun, man. Yeah. So Oshun. Why is Oshun associated with the river? Now, mind you, all of the female Orishas have a river associated with them in Nigeria, right? Um, Oya has the Niger River. We have the Oshun River. Yamaya has a river. Yawa has a river. Oba has a river, um, etc. So the reason being is because the rivers are feminine in nature, right? You know, we talk about a river. It's actually a metaphor for the womb. Um, there's a... Uh, a path of Oshun known as Ibuyumu, um, which is the one that lives at the riverbed that, that causes her daughters to, their wombs fill the same way a river floods, right? So it makes reference to the procreative aspects of it, the feminine aspects of it. You know, without the river, the river is really the parent of civilization. You know, you could look at, you know, uh, the, the Tigris and Euphrates, you know, for Sumeria or these rivers that are, mentioned in Nigeria, I mean, without the river, I mean, the Nile, you know, without this place in nature, we would not have been able to survive. So it's seen as a motherly, um, very feminine, very nurturing, very, a lot of provisions um, that it's given us. So that's why Oshun, amongst all of the, you know, female Odishas is associated with the river. But why is Oshun most associated or most strongly associated? Um, I think, she is the Orisha that most integrated into the river and its concept, right? So when we look at uh, the, the creation story of the land of Oshobo, where there's a famous story where there was a fish and the king made an offering, um, you know, you look at Odus that even reference uh, the Odu Iroso, Iroso Tualara makes reference of when Oshun embodied herself as the river and the people from this land or whichever land was referenced would go and make offerings to the river to the receipt to receive. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's become synonymous with her, especially with her character that has to do with childbirth and the sweet waters, etc. The Odu Odiche speaks of when the river met with the ocean. 
um, the river being Oshun, the ocean being represented in that manifestation by Yemoja. Um, so once again, making reference to her. Um, you know, there, there's so many Odus uh, of Oshun that, that really speak about the river. But, I mean, when we look at the Odu of Obeyono, I think it's probably the best example because the relationship between Oshun and the river actually came from pain. Oshun was homeless, right? And she had a set of white clothes that she would wash in the river every day. And, and due to the, uh, the orange terracotta hue that the rivers, some of the rivers have in, in Nigeria, her, her, um, her clothes became stained over time, taking on a copper complexion, right? So it was just, um, it was reminiscent of her poverty. So she would cry and, you know, she was very depressed. People would shame her because she didn't have the money to be able to initiate into Odisha. This story is in Obeyono as well as Ogunabede, depending on, you know, people, how people want to interpret it. I, I might throw it for both, to be honest with you. But um, what happened was, is one day she went um, to visit Orumela, divination was performed, Obeyono was revealed, where Ifa said that she needed to perform sacrifice with her, her last dollars um, to be able to give an offering to Eshu. And, you know, her life was going to change. And when she did that, um, Eshu instructed her to show up um, in the village at 11.55 a.m. Um, and wait there, you know, until um, something happened and, and pick up whatever she saw. So Eshu um, showed up at 11.50. And he disguised himself as, you know, somebody as a messenger. And he started screaming that a monster was coming and he was going to, you know, pillage and rob everybody. And they needed to leave all of their belongings of value at their front door and close the door and, um, you know, stay in for at least 10 minutes, which they did. And Oshun showed up five minutes later and started picking up everybody's money, you know. Mm. And um, she completely just ran through everything. And then five minutes later after that or 10, what have you, everybody came out and they're like, oh, my God, we survived. Oshun went back to visit Orumela. She said, what do I do with all this money? He said, well, first thing you need to do is um, you need to initiate into Orisha was the big reason she was doing it you know to become queen and she did she came back wearing white clothes and people were like oh how'd you get the money and she said well Orumila did eboromi right and she always paid homage to orula eshu and she also went back and gave offerings to the river that helped her uh, maintain hygiene and hope um up until that point you know some people even say she married orula afterwards so you know he, he came out winning for sure um but that's why Oshun is the female Orisha that's most strongly associated with the river. So when I, I always thought it, that was Yemaya. Was that, is that the ocean? Or? So what happens is, is Yemaya is a river deity as well, right? But, you know, the, the big issue we have nowadays is like the, the discrediting. So people are like, no, the Lukumi Ifa is... Um, has misunderstood this concept. Yemaya has nothing to do with the ocean, and she is a strictly river deity, right? Now, this within our scripture differs a little bit because Yemaya has a special relationship with Olokun, who is the owner of the ocean that the other female Odishas do not. Olokun chose to procreate with Yemaya and also collaborate with her, and he gave her a specific place within the ocean to be his representative, right? So in the Odu Baradila was where they shamed Olokun, and he went to the bottom of the ocean, and he chose Yemaya Mayelewu as his wife to represent him on Earth because he didn't want to go back to the surface to deal with people. You know, it was kind of like the Atlantis concept. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's other Odus like Iwori Wosa, 
that says that Olokun had all the wealth, but he didn't know how to distribute it. So he left Yemaya as the surface of the ocean to distribute his wealth and reinvest for him and make them prosperous, you know. And the Odu of Ika Foguero or Ika Otura was where the seven shades of blue first manifested. And, you know, they were all Yemaya's sons that she had with Olokun. That's in Ika Otura. So that's why to be able to get the full prism of blue, you know, within water you have to go into the ocean because the last one you know you can't get it from a river it's just not deep enough so that's why yemaya in the odu of ikaotura through procreating with olokun and having seven sons um was able to create the prism of light which goes back to our original concept that that's nothing more than what the orishas are um thus making her you know an ocean deity from surface level only so the film on top of the ocean that top layer that's yemaya Everything below it is Olokun. And some people would say that even there's a path of Yemaya known as Ashabba, which is represented through the uh, the bubbles um, that, you know, uh, come up through, you know, the constant in and out of uh, of the waves. I mean, some people would even go as far to say Asesu. Some people would say that's also Orisha J. So, but, you know, Yemaya is definitely there much more than all the other feminine deities. So that's why she's associated with the ocean. There's also another story, which isn't very flattering. Um, in the Hodu of Iwariobere, or Iwariobara, was where um, Yemaya was married to Olodumare. But um, Olodumare was a very busy man, and he wasn't, he was an older guy. He wasn't necessarily interested in being intimate with his wife as frequently as she might have wanted to. So, yeah, so Yemaya, rather than just being satisfied with being queen of the universe, said, hey, you know, I, I need a little more. So she went and started an affair with Olokun, <laughs> who was Olodumare's son. Yeah, and uh, Olokun wasn't really happy because he's like, you know, they took, you know, what was it? Thirty percent of my uh, territory away, and only left me with seventy percent of uh, water mass. So they they were carrying on their affair, but Olodumare had a very faithful servant named uh, Eyatudu, who was um, a fish. Right? Some people would say it was the catfish. Some people would say it was the red snapper. And um, he went running back to Olodumare to say, "Hey, uh, your wife's cheating on you." And he said, prove it. He said, well, you know, she has a mark here and she looks like this and she makes said noise. And he's like, oh, my God, this man has seen my wife in the nude. So um, he called her forward to, you know, ask her what she had done that day. And I think she said she was washing some clothes. And um, he called the fish forward and he said, uh, tell her what you know. And he said, I saw you do this, that, and the third. And I know because you have this on this part of your body, you have a birthmark here, you know. And um, just like that, the jig was up. And uh, Olodumare said, I'm not going to kill you, but you can go live with him rather than be with me. And um, he blessed the fish um, and, um, you know, became his faithful servant. You know what I'm saying? And there's very specific processes that happen with that Odu with the fish um, that we won't get into here. But, you know, that's where Yemaya married Oloku. You know, because she got caught by the fish. Who was actually, I mean, if you look at the, the name Yemoja or Yeyeomoeja, means mother whose children are the fish. The fish snitched on her because he felt bad. He's like, you know, it's, you know, because he was Olodumari's son as opposed to Olokun's per se. And he was like, this isn't right. So everybody's just got to kind of fall into place. That's interesting. I tell you, man, you look at some of this material, and, and that's why you got to love it. Not because of the salaciousness of it all, but it's just very honest, you know. And unfortunately, a scenario like that has played out somewhere. 
Um, so, you know, the Yorubas were very honest about life and understood human behavior, and we really haven't changed much. We're, 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 uh, we're animals, and that's okay, you know, because there, we should always maintain an aspect of ourselves that is beastly, but, um, you know, always, you know, focusing on the modern and the refined, but we cannot ignore, you know, we, we, we are creatures, you know, just like, um, just like any other. So weird question here. Um, so with the Odus, Odus are, were they all written at the same time or did they all written over time? Brother, that's an amazing question. And, and that's one of the most hotly debated things right now is because, you know, the you have certain, well, the Odus were from the beginning of time. Let's start there. The signs, they are the basis of creation. Just like the binary code in the matrix is, mm -hmm. this is the real manifestation of that concept. I mean, where we might see, I don't know, a bottle of rum, um, you know, celestial sight, you'll see the sign Oturairete or whatever, whatever sign is associated with alcohol. Now, mind you, it won't be like Neo where I'm seeing the ones and twos or ones and zeros. Yeah. But, um, you know, when we do a divination or whatnot, that sign will come out and be like, oh, wow, look at that. Look, just look at that whiskey bottle right there. It manifested, you know. So the signs were always there. It was the first 16 known as the Meji, which are the twins because the right side looks like the left side. And then they procreated amongst themselves, creating the other 240 um, for the grand total of 256 where everything within existence is compiled within it. Um, and then from there come the stories, right? So Ifa says this is like our seventh existence. You know, we've been obliterated a couple times. Um, but what happened was is our ancestors. Wait. Yeah. You said go back. Yeah, Ifa says this is like our seventh try. So literally, the Matrix literally just ripped that off. I think so. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want no problems. But there had to be a Baalau there, or somebody who understood African indigenous spirituality. Because I remember the first time I saw the Matrix, because I've never been a sci-fi guy. I'm, I'm, it's me and technology really don't work. Um, <laughs> that is true. I, I really. I. I don't know. I have an advert, an aversion to it, and I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm such a reader. Or uh, you know, my my grandmother. I don't know. Old school Cuban lady. She wasn't a fan of technology neither. Um, you know, something with a remote was always getting thrown at the TV, but, um, you know, I've just had an aversion to it. But when I, I said, you know, it's, it's on, everybody talks about it. Let me, I watched that movie, I think for the first time, like 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember just sitting there and looking at it. I said, Oh my God, this is us. You know, I'm Neo Orula's Morpheus, you know, he the Oracle issue is the guy in the black suit or the guy at the end. Uh, who's the guy with the white beard that sat down with the, uh, with the Oracle, you know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, the creator or something like that. Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. That's Eshu, bro. He's he's Eshu. Or maybe that, that's the male aspect of creation, and Eshu was Mr. Smith. I mean, you could go so many different ways. with, And then you look at Trinity um, being Neo's counterpart. It could be Oshun, or Neo could be Shango. I mean, it could just, it, it was so many archetypes. I'm like, oh, my God. And, I, and to be frank with you, I mean, because, you know, Black Panther was such a beautiful movie. But it was very easy to see, you know, who's based on who, you know, the, the, the guy um, with the with the crocodile markings, you know, that's Ogung. And then, you know, you have the guy from the Gorilla Tribe. And, you know, obviously Chadwick was uh, Shango, you know, the king to be. Um, all these different things. But it was, it was to the face and it was gorgeous. But you look at something like The Matrix, it was so subtle. But if you know what you're looking at, you're like, dude, who was on here? So I don't know. Maybe Lawrence Fishburne is about allow. I I don't know. I don't know. But that was like pure Ifa, hmm. complete Ifa. Well, well, I, I know we're 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 
deviating, but it's apparently, a good deviation. <laughs> apparently the Wachowski brothers or that are now sisters, um, oh, they apparently stole the script from a black woman. So, oh my um, god, I did not know I, that. I, yeah. I'll give you more info on that. Uh, also, same with Terminator. She, I think she, I think she wrote that too. But they took what it. A, they what took a talented from, woman! So. Good luck. Good God. You know yeah, uh, but anyway, you said seven times. <laughs> yeah, so this is like our seventh existence, and ideally. We're gonna get it right this time, you know what I'm saying? So, but that's been proven by science too, because I've heard there's been six level, six extinction level events that have happened on Earth. Bro, let me tell you something, and this is wild, right? In the Odu Babao Yakumeji, it speaks of when Obatala um, came down. This is in Ayobe as well, but Yakumeji speaks of it even more firmly. When Obatala came down from heaven and he released the uh, the hen onto Earth. She started going like this, right? She started spreading all the earth, and it was magically enchanted, and you know, it created landmass. And um, they did a study where they actually showed Pangaea, like the original one, where all the continents were together and everything, and the outline is a hen. So, like, when I saw that, you know, I immediately I was like, oh wow, you know, because that was the first. It wasn't the first animal to step on land. The first animal to step on land was the chameleon. But right afterwards, once the chameleon was able to show through his cautiousness, that's why he still walks like that to this day, um, that land was firm enough for the hen. They say a five, I don't think you'd call them toad. I don't know what they're called, you know, as far as digits wise on on an animal like that. But it had five digits and it started going like that. And then, you know, when they actually did that, you know, that outline of all the land matter, how it originally looked, it was it was an outline of a hen. Wow. So, you know, the, the, the Yoruba <laughs> people, the Africa had knowledge. I mean, you even look at, you know, I guess my ancestors, the Dogon, right? I mean, like, um, look at look at all the Siri, all the stars and the Sirius complex and system and them knowing about it and them being like, you know, how'd you know about this? Like, oh, the, the, the people from the sky told us. I mean, these are things that are irrefutable. Whether you want to accept them or not. I mean, that, that's completely up to you, but there's no other reason why those people should know that that star is there without any modern technology. And if their explanation is somebody from the sky came down and told them that, I think we need to believe it. And I tell you, we're living in a time where I don't know if we necessarily care or have time to even digest because, like, you know, you look at the, the aliens in Mexico and all these different things. I'll be frank with you. I didn't give it a second thought. I mean, I didn't have time. I had to go to work. <laughs> Just like, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, God bless, man. Hopefully they help us out and don't obliterate us because they might be tired of us too, you know. That's yeah. why they don't want to interact with us, you know. And, and, and to be frank with you, the Orishas as well, it's not, that, it's not that they'll abandon us. But you have to understand, when you have an Orisha icon, the Orisha does not live there. What lives there is a medium or a, uh, a counterpoint that you call the energy of Orisha there, and it's a facilitator for them to be able to receive that offering. So your Eshu, Eshu does not live there, per se. Like He has a bunch of things to do. The energy fluctuates, what have you. You have to call Eshu back. How do you call Eshu back? When your weekly uh, process, you're spitting the rum, you're spitting the water, you're, you're smoking a cigar maybe, any of these different things. You're just doing that to call that energy back. And then at that point, you can receive through giving, you know. So um, I don't think they'll ever turn their back on us. But, you know, it is. it might become harder to call them back and get those results, you know, just based on people's behavior. And that's on an individual basis. But the Orishas 
are everywhere and nowhere all at once. You know, they're, they're not confined. And I think that kind of brings us back into our theme is that, you know, these energies are far too immense and far too complex to be held within the confines of our, you know, mundane interpretation and psyche. You know, they're, they're, they're far beyond. Mm. So before before you continue real quick. Yes, sir. Uh, Sophia Stewart is the woman's name. She she wrote a, a screenplay called The Third Eye. God bless which, her. Oh, uh, that's OD. That's 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 I mean, come which on. Uh, which Go she ahead. claims in a lawsuit that she that the James Cameron and uh, the Wachowski brothers uh, took ideas from her screenplay for The Terminator and The Matrix. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I don't get involved, but all I'm saying is that I'm not shocked because those are concepts that the way they were expressed in that film, and, you know, I, I, I'm embarrassed to say I didn't see the Terminator at an age or in a way where I can fully recall it other than, you know, Arnold with his famous line. But um, there are concepts in The Matrix that I don't know how someone who has not interacted with Afro-Indigenous philosophy would be able to, you know, equate. Now, I don't know if Mr. Cameron has or the, the Wachowski family has, but... um. If not, that's very, very, you know, concerning because where did you come up with this? Because even though there's very logical people and philosophical people, I mean, I, I, some people would go as far to say I'm an enlightened individual. I couldn't have come up with all this. Like, I mean, there's people who have invented religions, but the thing about Ifa is when you actually practice Ifa, like someone such as myself who has performed hundreds of Ifa divinations, whether it be with the chain or with the seeds, the way that thing lines up when it's revealed is is it's chilling because the things that it's spoken about, like, for example, when my grandmother passed away, um, I didn't read myself at least for a month or two into the new year. And um, when I read myself that day, I actually put some red roses to my eggung altar um, because those were the flowers she liked. And then when I pulled the sign that night, the Odu Ayobe was revealed for me that year. And that's where the, uh, the um, God, what is that? It's a songbird. I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly which one it was. But um, he gifted the princess the red roses. Mm. So, I mean, it's just very chilling because it's like, dude, like, how? How, how does that happen? But it's nothing more than a spiritual science that captures nature within your psyche you know for a period of time it's a photograph um and this was the technology that we had so people look at it as trivial you know some seeds a board you know uh i don't know a chain they're like well that's as trivial as it gets well maybe things as trivial as that built the pyramids i don't know because we we, we haven't been able to recreate that even with all of the, the modern techniques that we have now so what have we been disregarding and what have we been you know delving into and you know, it's for us to analyze Wow, yeah, I just wanted that little uh, little deviation because uh, we talk about the matrix all the time. So I was like, well, well look yeah, at that. no, that's a, that's a Bible, that's a Bible movie right there. You know, regardless of who had the pleasure of actually releasing it, I mean, you know, it's just there's things there you can learn Ifa just by watching that movie. You know, wow. Um, so yeah, so we went over Elegua, we have Orula, we did Shango, Batala. The Oshun, Yamaya, Oshun. Um, I guess let's, let's go, go with uh, Ogun. Ogun, right? Yeah. yeah, Ogun. Ogun, man. Ogun's the man, by the way. Um, love him very much, man. Ogun is the the finest representation of masculinity within Ifa besides Oromila. Um, he's stoic. He's quiet. He's strong. He provides. He protects. Um, he really, he was everything, you know, to ancient culture. I mean. 
Um, he was a barber. He was a blacksmith. He was a butcher. He fulfilled all of the roles necessary to really catapult humanity into what would become uh, modern, right? The modern phase. Um, but Ogun has always been associated with the jungle, always been associated with the vegetation. Um, I mean, there's a song that says, Asho ewe hogunde where we say Asho Ewe, where Ogun came with the cloth made of leaves, you know, which is making reference to the Mariwo, which is the skirt of palm fronds that he wears. And in some parts of Africa, he actually puts it on his head. Mm. Um, but the reason he's so associated with that um, part of nature is because when the Orishas carved their path from, you know, it actually doesn't even refer to the ground. It refers to heaven and the cosmos. That's why, you know, the Orishas may be aliens or extraterrestrials. I mean, it's really not that far-fetched, especially when you look at the regalia that we wear that's expressed through, you know, Yoruba royalty, but that's a that's another deviation. Um, you know, when Ogun was seen as, with his machete, being able to carve a path between heaven and earth, um, the first place they landed was within the jungle, right? All this vegetation. So you have all these Odishas here, and they have all these things they have to accomplish or want to do, and um, they have no way of getting out of this one little oasis of uh, pasture to be able to expand. And, and that's when Ogun arrived, and with his machete, in the Odu of Baba Ogun Dameji, which means Ogun created with uh, the machete, um, he was able to cut it down and really open up the path towards progress, um, not only for celestial beings, but their descendants, the human beings. And um, that, that's really the basic, basic, basic story why Ogun is associated with that space in nature. Now, mind you, Ogun was also a huge fan of, of the jungle and the solitude because he was a guy that would get very overstimulated. He had a lot of high moral fiber. You know, he believed things were right and wrong and, you know, being justice and the iron we really don't have time for interpretation. What's right is right and what isn't isn't. Um, but there is a story in the Odu of Oshe Irosung, or Oshe Lezo, where Ogun abandoned humanity because he was very overstimulated by the city. He really couldn't stand it. He wasn't a people guy. He didn't have a lot of customer service. He just wanted to work. And um, one day he realized people didn't appreciate him or, you know, it was, it was a lot of immorality. And he trekked off into the jungle where all the other Orishas tried to bring him back because society came to a halt um, and all of them were failing because he was threatening them with death, mm. which is the famous story when Oshun um, covered herself in honey and went into the jungle and was able to lure him back out uh, with her uh, sensuality, um, where he realized that you know he had to spend the majority of his time in the jungle, but there were still times when he had to interact, you know? Um, there's also a story in the Odu of Ofunsa, say Ofunsa, where Obadala lived in the jungle and Ogun lived in the city, and and they hated it because Obadala was a people person, Ogun was not, and uh, one day they realized, you know, walking on the border of each, that they wanted each other's lives, and they made the trade, and Obadala went to the city, and Ogun went into the jungle. So you know, it, it's 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 been very very you know, common to see Ogun constantly in the space of nature and foliage. And he really needed that to be able to relax because he was, it's like metal. You could overstimulate metal, the electricity, you know, it's, it was, it was too much for him. So, you know, him, just like Ochosi as well, in the Odu of Ogun Nameji was where they both went into the jungle together um, to become hunters. 
Nogunda Masa was where they lived together in the jungle for, for hunting. Um, there's very few stories where you don't see them there, per se. Mm. That's that's deep. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, um, you know, another really, another Odisha that a lot of people are interested in is Oya. Yeah. Oya is, um, she's the, she's the warrior queen, right? She's the buffalo. She is Shango's right hand in battle. His concubine is, uh, is his woman. Um, Oya, the word Oya, um, literally they only changed one letter to be able to distinguish the two in conversation. You have Oya, which is the Orisha, and you have Oja, which is the marketplace. And they are synonymous. Most people really like to correlate Oya with the cemetery. Oya actually is not present inside the cemetery. Because Oya represents air. And in the cemetery, there is no oxygen per se as far as for people, you know, the people that have passed on yeah, to, to not, penetrate into. not breathing. Exactly. And you, if you ever go into a cemetery, it's almost still. Oya doesn't like to be in there. Um, she actually only represents the gate, they say. So if she's not associated with the cemetery, where is she associated with? And that is the marketplace. Um, the word oja means market. And ironically, even though the physical remains go to a cemetery, which is a new world concept, because in Yoruba land, they bury you in your backyard where your ancestors can attend to you. The spiritual cemetery or bastion of spirituality is the marketplace. Because the Odu Babao Turameji says, this is nothing more than a marketplace. We're trying to make our way back home. So Oya is associated with the marketplace and Egung because of those concepts. Now, mind you, in Yoruba land, you'll have a palace, right? Like the, um, the Alafing or the Afing uh, of, of Oyo, which is the palace of Oyo. Alafing means owner of the palace um, or owner of the law, depending on, you know, letters and minutiae. Um, the palace is surrounded by a marketplace, right? The same way Shango always wanted to be surrounded by Oya. So she's associated with the marketplace and erratic spirits or spirits in general are there. And they're kind of who keep things, you know, moving and flowing. It's seen as a very spiritual place. And for all of the people who've had the privilege of, um, you know, sighting or seeing, um, if you were in Cuba, you definitely saw, you know, Yawos or recent initiates going to the, the Plaza de Cuatro Camino, which is a very famous marketplace in its Cerro. Or, you know, you might just be randomly out here and see a person in all white making offerings to the marketplace. It's really reiterating how spiritual it is and how crucial Oya is and um, how necessary because the marketplace is uh, known as Ejibo Mekung, which is um, a title for a metaphysical marketplace, if not a real one that's seen as the border between heaven and earth. And it's, it's almost like a, a portal, right? It's one of those places that, that's kind of open, where you're kind of, you know, interacting um, at will. So, well, yeah, is associated with that. She is a river deity. She has her own river, probably the most important one. Um, you know, she's manifested through uh, lightning, right? Uh, she's very quick, the wind. But when we're talking about nature, even more so than the so-called cemetery, Oya is the marketplace. Wow, man. This has been probably one of my favorite episodes, honestly. If you're new to this channel, this is a must. I mean, all the episodes are must-watch, but yeah, this is definitely a must-watch. A lot of information in here if you're wondering about the the Orishas. Yeah, all of my all of my uh, my credits to wifey, you know, Poroya. A lot of people have been hitting her up asking her, you know, why this, why that? And she was like, honey, you should make a video on this concept. And um, 
one that really simple for me because when you know Orisha, you know where they are, you know how to find them. I mean, you know, it's 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 just interesting because when you look at the origin stories of the Orishas, and that's why every Orisha has the capability of being crowned because for an Orisha to be present within the pantheon or to have a real world ma- real world manifestation within nature, you have to be able to get initiated into it. So if you look at a concept like Olokun, there's no way that if Olokun was present on Earth, and I can't express the, the fine detail there that, that really shows why, but if, if there is an Orisha on Earth, it's because it was able to be initiated into and reincarnated as. So if you look at the other Orishas that have their own places in nature, the reason they have their own places in, in nature is because there's spiritualities that come forth from there to be able to be initiated into by us, the human beings, who utilize these spaces in nature. So, for example, let's say in ancient Yoruba land, you wanted to go interact with the palm tree. The Shango guys were going to be like, well, if you want to get close to our sacred space, I mean, you got to you gotta hop in with us. You know, you got to get hazed out, you know? Yeah. So it's the same thing with the ocean. You want to come and give, uh, you know, to the offerings to the sacred part of the ocean. Yeah, you have to initiate into a local. You can call it crowning. You can call it initiating. It's all the same thing. So if if any, it's it's it lets you know that this is how these things are still here. It's not just because the palm tree is still growing in said corner. It's because we're still paying homage to it through the initiatory rites that were taught to us by our ancestors and God. I mean, we could probably do a part two with the, oh, other, yeah, with Orishas, the other ones. Uh, you know, think, like yeah, a Chelsea, you know, all, all those too. So if you if you didn't hear yours on this episode, don't fret. We got you. But I think I think it's time, my man. Uh, we get some shoutouts. So. If you are new to the channel, we have a completely awesome separate membership program Yes, for those wanting more Our Roots Podcast and Joseph Baba Ifa. You can quickly join by clicking the join button below and you get three different options of three different tiers, which each offer separate perks if you join. Absolutely. Okay, so let's give a shout out to shout Robert. Robert Cifuentes, he's Rob. a he's an OG, so oh, we gotta man, give thank him. You, I think he's yeah. a, I think he's a day oneer. Yeah, yeah, he's been around. Yeah, uh, we got Omo Batala. Blessings, Hekwa. We got uh, Iyo Obamola. Thank you. We got Trinarican Goddess. My goddaughter, God bless. Good episode. We got another um, OG, Richard Massey. Oh, Rich, blessings, man. Thank you. Yep. Let's. Uh, I don't know why it does that, but. <laughs> We got to take a break. It's too stimulating, man. You got to give the elevator music a break. Right. Nice. I have it on loop, too, so I don't know why it stops. Oh, it's anyway, good stuff. We got uh, Cookie Fury. Cookie, thank you. Katrina Allen. Thank you, Katrina. Joaquin Mendez. Joaquin, blessings me how. And another shout out to Gilly84. Gilly. Guys, lots of new information coming out in the membership program. Um, if you know anybody that could benefit from it, let them know about it. If you haven't gotten in there, please do. We're coming out with a bunch of content, exclusive content on paths, you know, uh, our, our ideas, things that we think are going to benefit you, whether it's motivation or very specific ways to do things. Um, the audio podcast is out and pumping. If you want to be able to listen to it without the visuals, it's, it's there for your enjoyment. Um, Botanica candles and more.com is up and running, um, for all spiritual services and products. We have some new shirts that came out recently as well. Oh, I'll be rocking them soon. Yeah. Some new Oshun joints that are really nice. Okay. And, um, you know, please like share, comment, subscribe, and always until next time, see the light.